0: Thanks for joining me on retail today. Today I'm talking to Anne Roxstall. She's CMO with Manhattan Associates, and she's here to talk about the 2023 Unified Commerce for Specialty Retail Benchmark that was prepared with Manhattan Associates, Zebra, and Google's participation. Anne, welcome. Now, who are you and what are we talking about today? Uh,
1: well, my name is Ann Roxel. I'm the CMO at Manhattan Associates. And the reason why we're here, we're trying to give the retailers some help. Not pontification, not opinions, but actual performance-based benchmark and the insights that come from that to how to be really at the top of the game to service and hopefully make a lot more money uh, today's omni-channel consumers, because all of us are channel agnostic. Grandma, me, definitely my kids, right? But it is not that easy to actually know the customer, regardless where they show up, uh, pick up the conversation or the transactions, whether it's buying or returning, where they left off, so that you serve them, hopefully delight them, not waste their time, and allow you to achieve your maximum business objective. At the same time.
0: I love that. So, and we talk about unified commerce, right? This idea uh, that it's uh channel agnostic. Can you explain just a you're explaining this to uh, a third grader on um uh over a hot chocolate? How could you explain unified commerce?
1: Is the ability to conduct business anywhere, anytime, as if you never uh, stop talking, that you continue that conversation and the interchange and that transaction and you pick up exactly where you left off.
0: I love that. And you know, so many people, I think, get worried about, oh, unified commerce, you're going to be tracking me and all this, but it's like, it's really just saying, what if you had one conversation, no matter where you were, then it's kind of like, well, that'd be cool. And who wouldn't want that? right? And
1: it's not, it's actually pretty good because today with our data privacy and today with our uh, GDPR, especially, you know, in some of the other countries, right? um, I think all the consumer need to be really disciplined and be very wise to know that there is a trade-off. You have to agree to be known. Some people may decide to stay anonymous and it's your option. But if you decide that you do business with certain retailers and that you have, you know, a group of friends on, you know, Instagram or or TikTok or Facebook and you only want to let yourself be known to that subgroup of people, you can control it. So first and foremost, I would say consumer need to be smart about when to let their presence known. But when you do let your presence known, because you trust that brand, let's say, because now we're talking about, you know, business, we're talking about commerce, and you opt to say that, yes, when I shop with Nordstrom, and when I shop with REI, you know, I'm always there. And I honestly don't mind for them to know uh, who I am by just giving them my mobile number, right? So when you walk into the store, you don't go dark. As soon as I know, they, they know my mobile number, you know, At some point in time, all of these store associates would not be fixed, (laughs) hopefully, to a terminal, or God knows, we still call them cash registers, don't we, huh? Yeah, we're so far behind so many countries, Bob. I mean, shoot, when I was shopping a Hyundai department store 15 years, 20 years ago in Korea, they don't even have cash register. Everybody has a mobile device. You just have to tell them who you are. They pop up your record. They follow me around as I travel, as I, you know, shop. And I become the commerce of one instead of throwing m- myself into the humanity of God knows what. And they can see my preference. They can see the couponing. They can see, you know, whatever wait list I'm on and put together my shopping list. Very efficiently with guidance, right? Here we are in the US. We're just really recently starting to do that, right? So if I decide to let my presence known, then I think this will be a game changer for retailers because they know exactly what my lookbook, my wish, my wish book, my wish list, my shopping cart. You know, so you we all get these great emails, which I think it's wonderful for the retailers. say, and did you forget something? You have three items in your in your cart, right? And by the way, the good ones even tell me what, oh, by the way, there's a price change. And by the way, there's inventory availability change. Now the store, by the way, this item you've been waiting for, now it's available, you know, since they know who I am and they know my radius of willingness to travel. They can even tell me, oh, by the way, the you know, the the store down the street now has the item. You know, now when I go grocery shop. I just add another stop. All I'm saying is that I think unified commerce. It sounds kind of it's kind of a nerdy way to describe commerce in this contemporary era of uh, digital connectivity. And that whether I'm shopping on Instagram, whether I'm shopping, honestly, I still call in occasionally. A few a few brands that you, we all know still very good at catalog and white 1-800 numbers, or I'm on their e-store, on, on their, um, you know, e-commerce site, or I'm going into the stores, uh, I will be very impressed when the brand, as soon as I de-anonymize myself, they go, oh, Ian oh, yes, that, that one green sweater that you've been looking for, oh, my goodness, it's now available, and I can get that to you. I don't have it in the store. So you do endless aisle without using the word endless aisle. But me as an, a cell associate, I can do so much and it will be delightful for me. Then I don't have to do the homework. And they will say, I can ship it to you from another store because I don't have it. Or I can have it directly to you from one of my fulfillment centers, you know, the big distribution centers. Uh, and by the way, if you go over $100 more, you get that 25 percent discount. I mean, my goodness gracious, it will be delightful for for so this is my roundabout way saying that I think unified commerce, when done right, is meant to delight. And when you delight, then how much differentiation do retailers have nowadays? This will be a game changer for a lot of people. So anyway, we did a benchmark and we look at it, we go, what well, you know, the winners, you know, it's literally like a strength test against 286 tests. So it's bench press, it's sit-ups, <laughs> it's arm lift. It's like, all right, you're ready, you ready for the Iron Man? okay? Um, and we tell you exactly what part of your regime and your everything needs need some work. It's the swimming, not the cycling, right? And it's very interesting because people need that performance-based, um, I guess, analytics and it's fair, it's um, quantifiable, and now you can prioritize. Otherwise it can be overwhelming. What part of my commerce is not right? doing right? It, is it the shopping, the discovery, and the search part of my business that I'm not wowing people and not giving people visibility? Is it the whole checkout and payment experience? Some people only want to pay certain ways. I mean, if it's not on my wallet, I don't buy. I mean, there, there, there's like, it's very interesting nowadays. It depends on there's a bit of a generational thing, you know. I think my kids probably is like wallet, Venmo, you know, that's it. I'm going, I'm still trying to go. I know I have Venmo because I have PayPal, but that's not how I I'm more like credit card. I'm trying to get the Zelle thing figure it out because some people only want to pay via that. But anyways, my point is, you know, we all have different preferences and the brand kind of have to be pretty smart to figure out of all the gazillion different payment methods, which one do your consumer care about? How do you provide that convenience? So anyhow, I, without going into too much, but this is, I think the, the industry we owe the industry, a performance-based benchmark. So it's empirical it's completely fair. Um, And you know that we did this by eight shopping trips per brand.
0: Well, what I really liked about the benchmark is you didn't do it as here's the, where's my brand, right? (laughs) All I care about is where are we? That's it. Where are we? And it's like, no, no, no. It's, Mm -hmm. it's It's a tool that anybody could use. Yes, you're showing the laggards and the ones that are succeeding. But I thought one of the interesting things for me, it was promise and uh, fulfillment. So uh, well, the first thing I read, 75% of retailers offer flywheel of fulfillment options. Oh, great. Uh, 11, 18% allow modification post-purchase. Wow, that went down a lot. And then yeah. allow shoppers to change fulfillment from buy, uh, buy online, pickup up in store to direct shipment. Um, a lot of these things, like the other one that I thought was the 82% of, uh, it's the chat one. Is what about chat? Um, uh, how uh, so many people offer chat but a lot of times you can't go past the bot. And so your point was, hey, uh, that's a big point because it's not personal. That's really what I think you're getting at in looking at the benchmark is how much personal uh, are you leaving uh, through these systems or not making things available? Does that make sense?
1: Oh, yeah, it does. Um, The chat is smart as what you feed it right? Because it, it links against the knowledge base. But but you're absolutely right. I think the brands need to be thoughtful. I think we do need to at some point in time and say, this is the Autobot, Autobot chat, right? So they kind of know. But for us, we turn on chat. As soon as we have live um, folks available to, available to be uh, an assistant, you can turn the chat into live. And and it shows. So, so I think, yeah, there's uh, so many things that You know, like to be great at what you do, it's a very nuanced thing. It's not a checkbox. It's not saying, yeah, I do delivery. Oh my goodness, like, honey, there are nuances in delivery. It's like what mode the delivery, how many choices of delivery, is it on bicycle? <laughs> is it on scooter? Is it on truck? Is it on, you know, depends on the size of the packaging. Uh there's and, so- it,
0: and I would add, is it important? You know, so many people try to solve the last mile. And we saw so uh, many businesses go into that in the last two years because of the pandemic. And then they're all shutting down because, like, we can't make money at that. And more importantly, consumers did not respond that they would pay for it. So how does a retailer know what's important when I read the benchmark and and how do I prioritize it, right?
1: Uh, yeah, for sure. I think ultimately it's like life is working out in such a way that the whole supply chain has so many uh, participants in there. And you can fine tune, I mean, just on transportation for us, that's what we do. We, the, we do smart routing. Right. So how do you go from point A to point B in the least amount of time uh, with you have a bunch of condition you can put in with the least uh, miles traveled. Right. Least amount. We we don't like shipping air, (laughs) you know, so least amount of space wastage. Right. The space could be less warehouse utilization. So don't hop. Uh, By the way, a yard. Is part of your storage (laughs) because just because they're outdoors doesn't mean and then also the utilization of a truck because when the truck rolls i mean it's like uh honestly the machine learning that goes into how do you pack a truck so the the thing that gets unloaded first is in line with demand all of those i think it's getting us to the point where we just look at the outcome and the input. If the outcome is not good for business, for last mile, if customer satisfaction is not up and your profitability has suffered, you probably want to work backwards and tune and tweak it. You see what I'm saying? So it's not necessarily one piece of it. I think we need to look at the outcome. That's right. Yeah. I think that's is- really
0: important. I think one of the things that you guys had a case story about Giant Eagle, reduced their empty miles by 8% and improve the queuing by 7%. Now, some of you would say like, well, what's the difference that make? What does that make when you are able to improve load optimization and lower inbound costs? I mean, that's huge, isn't it? I mean, in in man hours, I don't know if we can say man hours anymore, but uh, can we say that as as the, I mean, it's so many costs Mm -hmm. that roll up into that, that for a big company that, those little amounts that's almost 10 percent that's significant
1: uh yeah I think they can look at their annual fuel consumption they can look at the labor cost associated with it because um backhaul because this was interesting it's like when you put a, a truck, out there. It's not just delivery. It's picking up returns now. So the return logistics is now part of, so thou shalt not send a truck out empty, nor come home empty. That's basically how we operate. But right? That's a
0: huge mind shift, isn't it? For a lot of, we just oh, think yeah. of shipping to the store and now you've got reverse logistics that have got to be part of that, right?
1: Absolutely. And I think people can return. I mean, we are making everything easy. You can return to you know the local store the ups you can return to so many places you can drop it off but and they also do pick up so i think the ability to have that flexibility to know that if you're going to deliver you know people do this a lot especially i know women probably guilty of that more maybe i'm saying something wrong because sometimes it's that size right sometimes certain things run large sometimes certain things run small and you try a few times to get to the right one so it would be good if you're doing delivery, they can do both that and pick up <laughs> on the wrong size, right? At the same time, they can match it and give you that choice uh, so that I don't have to necessarily do another trip to drop it off someplace and sometimes multiple ones. So as I think I think eventually, yeah, get to the- I right think that's side.
0: the thing that comes out when you look at the benchmark is in a lot of ways, it's talking about these are the friction points, right? These are the things that are going to wear you down. These are the things that- yeah, it's not a big deal. It's just a little squeak, right? It's like the smoke alarm. It's going that little thing, but we got time, right? But if you add it up, in how many parts uh did you go through in the benchmark? I forget, how many actual uh parts are there that were people we were graded to, on?
1: on this, you know, kind of like inspector number twelve list stretching the underwear uh we did 286 at yeah, 286
0: yeah yeah, yeah yeah
1: and if you go into the site i think you have the link to the microsite right
0: uh yes
1: okay then you will see how many falls under so there are four major categories so there's the search and discovery there's the cart and checkout and then there's the fulfillment and prom- promising and fulfillment and there's customer service typically post-purchase, but it goes into like customer service, like returns, issues, you know, and and including self-service as well. So the 286 is, you know, scattered across those four. And then each score within each capability is based on the average of eight actual shopping trips. So we did five online different parts of the day, so we don't have intraday uh, bias, and then three physical store purchase and returns, uh, so that we can exercise the suburb store, the burb store, urban store. So you have that, you know, difference Balance. as well. Right. For it. right, exactly. So I would say this methodology is unique. I believe it's the industry first, because typically people do survey. Survey is self-reported. And you all know, I think my stuff is great. <laughs> I, w- I mean, yeah, some of us can be self-critical, but you know, my my concept of what's good or excellent may not be the same as yours. So this is now standardized. And it's templatized. It's all the same.
0: Well, that's what I really liked about your survey. Be- excuse me, benchmark. Because Bench- so many surveys, to me, I have a question mark. It's like, oh, uh, shoppers prefer 99% to shop on their phones done by a phone company. You're like, yeah, that's not really value, right? But to be able to actually do mystery shops, that's what I would call them, mystery shops and, and stores and online, you're like, wow, that's valid because if you just did one, that's a picture. But when I've got eight, I've got a movie and now you see the whole thing and you're like, wow, that makes a difference. And I just wanted to touch back to Um, One thing I think you had talked about, there was a case study of something in Australia that had reduced uh, their fulfillment cost by like 24% through packaging better. I mean, isn't that something we all talk about sustainability and we hear like, oh, Gen Z, it's all about sustainability. It's like, great. Uh Shine is one of the biggest companies around, right? And the whole idea of everything being shipped in cardboard boxes, there is this duality of the consumer. So... Being sustainable, uh, I think you can listen to a lot of the noise, but if you look at just a practical matter, right, to yeah. r- to cut down on that. So, what steps or 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 case studies, you know, do you, have you come in contact with, because that's a real cost and it's a cost to the environment, which I think everybody is um, talking about these days.
1: Um, you know, this is kind of interesting. We're in April now. When is Earth Day? April twenty second, right? And I, my concept of Earth Day is lots of tents out in the parking lot or the walkway when I was at HP or Symantec or whatever. They, you know, we always celebrate. Uh, people care, they really do, but it's not one day a week, it's 365 days a week, it's coming up, right? Um, and what we're realizing is in the retail space or commerce at large, sustainability can be good business because we actually realized 20% of the consumer are kind of saying, yeah, they're okay with the practice, the sustainability practice of the brands that they do business with. Most of them are not happy because they don't know what you're doing. And I think when retailers in particular, right, Disclose your sourcing information. If you have, you know, up or pre-loved, right? You know, Paxson does a great job with that, right? And I think H&M just signed up for up again or first time. Uh, the ability to return something and give me an incentive, right? For my old pair of jeans as I get something new. People, it's a thing. You know, my girls, they, they go thrifting all the time. Um, they want to buy things that's vintage because it's not a fashion statement as well as a uh, virtue. And they want to do both because they really think we handed them a bill of terrible things.
0: I think that's funny. A a buddy of mine, his, well, my nephew, he graduated from UCI and the valedictorian speech was um, our generation looks at yours as you never finished the equation. You're like, yeah, so we pollute the rivers. Eh, Well, and I thought that was so brilliant. It's like you didn't complete the equation. You just didn't go far enough to go, But if we do this, like I live in upstate New York, the Hudson River is going to turn green when the car manufacturer paints the cars green, right? Well, that's acceptable. And I think what we're realizing Mm -hmm. is there's a lot that's not acceptable. And so to your point, how would a retailer tell their fans, their people? I mean, look at us. Is it like that? Or is it something that would be on a box to let you know 30% what? I mean, any ideas? And this is just you as a consumer or the CMO. Oh,
1: yeah. For sure. I mean, it goes from the whole supply chain. Let's start with sourcing, right? So do be mindful of sourcing as much as you can so that you are dealing with, if you're grocery, uh grocery company, fresh food, there's certain fish that's off the chart. I mean, you shouldn't be eating them because they're in danger. Monterey Bay Aquarium has this cute little fish chart that I carry with me and literally say, you eat this, but stay away from this. And when I go shop, if you go to Whole Foods, they actually have a compliant list. They tell you where they come from, right? And then certain fish they just don't touch. It does matter for food to the product that we buy, to the clothing and the merchandise stuff that we buy. So disclose that because the consumer actually wants to see it. It makes a difference when you put that in your PDP Um how you sourced it, how you manufactured it, and whether there's recycling and re, re-transaction return compensation involved. And we mentioned the uh, Australian company, the Super Retail Group, right? So there's stuff retailers can do. How you get the merchandise to the consumers. If they have one order that has five items in there and you ended up splitting them into five shipments... <laughs> I'm sorry, shame on you. Okay, you should be able to give them the choices, the consumers, they can wait for extra day, but they all combine into one. So minimizing split shipment, all split shipment means is that you, one order become multiple truck rolls or plane rolls or you know whatever the delivery methods are, you are causing a lot of inefficiency in transportation, not to mention the carbon footprint. So that is important. Another part is, the, you know, just because they hit pay now, honestly, does that mean they can't change it anymore? Because not just buyer's remorse, but there's some of that. We always go, oh, shoot, I forgot this other thing, right? So if you can get that grace window to modify their order a little bit longer, because you know when the stuff is actually uh, loaded onto a truck, maybe at that point in time, it, you can't change it anymore because it's it's took taken off. But if you can let people modify the order and have your warehouse, the pick list, the flow optimization uh, created in such a way that it's not just one directional, it's listening to all the modification coming in and be able to adjust that pick flow. You know, how do we pick something to pack it? You have that ability. Honestly, that's what technology does. So use it, right? Uh, so that you can give people that grace period to change their mind, that cuts down on how many round trips, not to mention the packaging material that's involved, the labor needed to do another order yet again. I mean, you can kind of picture that, right? So there are tangible things that retailers well, can do. And the friction. Sure.
0: Yeah, and the friction to do it. I mean, geez, I remember I made some order and I tried to fix it. I don't know even what it was. I had to try to find the phone number, find a phone number on a website. Oh my gosh. And then call this or this, then they're not there. And you're like, but the order's going through and it's silly. But I remember thinking I will never use these people again. And isn't that the point of, of this benchmark is to say, how many sales are you losing to a competitor for something you're not even aware is bad. And that's what this report has illuminated. What's one, what's one shocking, uh, uh, part that that illuminated to you when you first read it
1: oh there were so many aha moments um well uh I would say for me a lot of this is um order tracking and notification the really basic things right that just letting people know what's happening with your orders um we see a big difference between the leaders and the laggers, um, delivery with accurate promising, it is very important. You know, if I was a furniture company, and honestly, it's like, I'm finally getting that table because my in-laws are coming for Easter dinner, you know, and Easter doesn't change. And I really need my table, like today, right? And and you can't do accurate promising. We're seeing the, the leaders, with delivery promising day, Uh, accurately. 92% of the leaders do that. The laggers is 18%. So 92 versus 18, that's pretty big. But we can come back to you, Bob, with a list on what we think are the kind of the shockers across the whole buyer's journey, if you will. Um, But yeah, quite quite a few. And And even going
0: into that with the delivery, I just was talking to a guy on my podcast the other day, and he talked about how Thanksgiving was coming up. Almost the exact same story you have as was waiting for Thanksgiving and it's three days before and it's not coming. He gets the notification, I'm sorry. And the owner calls up and says, you probably got the notification. I'm sorry. I'm going to deliver you a dining room table that you're going to have. The chairs are here, but we're going to give you this. I'm going to take it back when the new one comes in. You don't have to worry about what condition it is. We're there. And I thought, wow. And he said, customer for life, that happened 15 years ago. I would never recommend anyone but that. But to your point, if only 18% are allowing you to see it, that does mean someone physically should be monitoring it and that's even bigger right for that owner to call that's great yay but that mm-hmm. means someone had to monitor all those steps instead of it being automated and being accurate would you agree
1: Yeah I agree um there are a few things that we find interesting is personalization you would think in today's age that at least if I go to somebody's e-commerce site they you know once I either de-anonymize myself or they can see my browsing activity history, even if they don't know who I am. They would at least have a recommendation section and say, because of your past browsing history, we think you might be interested in X, Y, Z. You'll be surprised Um, they don't, most of them. Um, another part is um, empowering their store associates to do their job. A store is not a store anymore. We found out during the pandemic, the retailers that survive are the one that are very agile, that when they know the mall is closed, the stores are not receiving shoppers, it serves a purpose. It became a micro-fulfillment center. This is how Paxons of the world not only um, survived, they thrived. And nobody lost their jobs because shoppers aren't coming into the stores, but they turn all their, I can't remember, like 360 some stores around the U.S., right? They all turned into fulfillment centers because even though mall traffic has gone down to zero, their e-commerce traffic was like through the roof because these kids, instead of going, sorry, they instead of studying, they're all shopping. If it's my kids in California, they're buying like swimwear surf gear they all shop they're surfing you know and paxon is probably their favorite brand so they're shopping so what happened is because they have this digital dexterity in terms of supply chain and order fulfillment right the store associate came into work during the pandemic nobody lost their job but instead of servicing customer they're fulfilling and then they got each store to be what i call the by global, by local, right? They're able to ship effectively because they can, you know, triage and figure out which store is closest to the consumer. So the shipping becomes what they do. Now that the pandemic is over, I hope we'll never go through it again. Um so I think it's it's a norm now. The store is not a store, it's not a store. It's where you fulfill, is where you showcase showrooming, is where you service, is where you process return and to customer engagement and it's all of those. So yet the sales associates are still stuck to that whatever you call it, the terminal, right? And they usually catch wrap
0: desk, any number of terrible at things desk, you might yeah. think from so, the 50s. So
1: well, I think the concept of you know point of transaction. So the point of sale is very kind of passe. It's point of transaction, the point of commerce now, which is has a human man in it. You need to give them CRM. They need to know who Bob is. They need to know everything about you so they can service you and respect your time. And so I think we're seeing that personalization, but it starts with empowering your Store associates to do so much more because guess what they can, and with the labor shortage we have right now, if you don't empower them to do that, one, you're not going to attract them. Two, you're you you're just unnecessarily escalating your labor cost, right? So I think it is important. So that that part of it is key, and comes with that is you know, for me, inventory is the name of the game for retailers. If the inventory is not on the shelf if it's not ready to be shipped at the time that consumers need it, you don't have a path to revenue. (laughs) You can't book it. It will be illegal for you to book that revenue It's not actually fulfilled, right? Transact and uh, and done. So inventory is your lifeblood. And if you don't have visibility or control over your inventory, um, you got a problem. And we do see um, only 29% of the retailer actually provide uh, real-time inventory statistics in their product listing pages, for example. That's really?
0: Yeah, that's really important. Well, this is a great place for us to end. I appreciate you joining me today, Anne. And uh, how can we find out more about the benchmark and what we should be doing here in retail? It's,
1: it's retailbenchmark.mhmanh.com. dot Perfect. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, thanks for joining me, Anne. I've had a lot of fun. And uh, and more importantly, I think you're providing the service. So Manhattan Associates is giving us uh, the tools. Now it's up to you to use them and move out of being a laggard and find out what the uh, the other ones are doing. So thanks for joining me today, Anne.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure. And everybody should go and have fun and get your performance and outperform your revenue growth by six times. I love by that. Being a leader, there is a call to action here because you're going to be promoted
0: I love that. Thanks, Anne.
1: Yes. All right.